episode of Purple Insider, and we welcome back to the show. Daniel Popper covers the Los Angeles Chargers for The Athletic, one of my favorite writers to follow. And a few weeks ago, I don't know when it was, middle of summer sometime, we said, why don't we just get together and talk about teams and football and everything? And we were talking, Daniel, about how similar these franchises are, the Vikings and the Chargers. And lo and behold, the Spider-Man meme, as we go into week three here, the Vikings and Chargers, both sitting at 0-2. Let me begin with this question for you, Daniel. How desperate is the football team that you cover? Well, first off, thanks for having me on, Matthew. Like, I every time I see a DM from you asking to pod, I, I love it because it's always a great chat with you. And I think we were just talking for about 10 minutes before we hit record because we just get going every time I'm on here. But to, to answer the question, I mean, very desperate. They were very desperate heading into the season. And I think that's kind of colored, like, you know, the coverage around the team for me, definitely. Like, everything was on the line. Like, the, 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 there, there were no questions um, about what the expectations were for this organization. Like they had to win, you know, and I think a lot of it stems from what this ownership group did last year, spending more cash on their defense than any team in the league, giving Brandon Staley everything that he asked for defensively, whether that was trading for Khalil Mack, whether that was signing Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson on the interior of the defensive line, whether that was signing JC Jackson. He has all of the pieces. He has all of his guys. And so it had to come together this year. And so, you know, an O and two start is disastrous, like game one. Okay. Right. Like, I think there were a lot of issues defensively that I wrote about. Um, but you know, Miami's looking like one of the best teams in the league, potentially the team to beat in the AFC and you play them close and you have a chance to win at the end and you don't get it done. Okay. I can understand that logic, but to play the way they did against Tennessee, to make the mistakes that they did against Tennessee across the board. I mean, I went back and looked at just in overtime, you had a misread from Justin Herbert. You had a procedural error on third down with the ball to start overtime. You had a poor punt coverage uh, on, a, on a kick that J.K. Scott had that had over five seconds of hang time where they should have gotten down there and they give up an 11-yard return. You had a, t- a, a toss crack play hit the edge, something that they struggled with all of last year. You give up an explosive pass, pass to DeAndre Hopkins on a, on, a, on a bad play call. You call a timeout on third and one when Derrick Henry's off the field to get a different personnel package in there and Henry's able to get back in the game and convert a third and one. Like you're talking about offense, defense, special teams, game management, play calling. Where am I? Play calling. Like it's everything. It's everything. And like now you're 0-2 and, and you look at the numbers. Sorry, I'm ranting, but like this is this is what it is for this team right now. Like you're 0-2. And your percentage chances of making the playoffs plummet. I mean, going back to 2000, it's 18 out of 187 teams that started 0-2. Not a lot of stock in that because obviously they expanded the playoff in 2000 to seven teams per conference. You look at that, one team out of 23 teams that have started 0-2 have made the playoffs since then. And that was the Bengals last year, which felt like a complete outlier because they overhauled their offense in like week five um, and, and completely changed how they were doing things. So like there is, I guess, hope, but this is about – as bad as it could start because the defense just is not coming together by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. There's a lot of places that we could go from there. So why don't we focus a little bit on just that the defensive part and Brandon Staley, because I think after about three games, a lot of people decided that Brandon Staley was the new wizard galaxy brain coach who was going to go for it on fourth down all the time. And he had been with the Rams, had a successful defense there. So it's like, okay, that team's got a great coach on to whatever other controversy we're talking about. And I feel like I haven't heard anything about it since. And yet, 
as I just watch from afar, there's nothing to me that indicates that Brandon Staley knows what he's doing as a defensive mind slash head coach. They have had poor defenses every single year. They finally got around to changing offensive coordinators. I guess we'll see if that plays out in the long run. It seems like the offense is moving the ball pretty successfully, but when you're giving up uh, that much to the Tennessee Titans, who, I mean, have to have one of the worst offenses in the entire league, and we saw them in joint practice. It's not good. And for them to look competent against the Chargers defense, I mean, what is happening? Because as you mentioned, there was a lot of investment there in the personnel. Yeah, a lot there. So let, let, let's sort of parse all of that. So I, I, Brandon Staley is a very intelligent person. He is very eloquent. Um, he's really good at explaining complex things in a simple way. Um, he has those things going for him. And I, so I think like what, like the point you're making is that he did win a lot of people over with how he presented himself early on. Now we're three years into this thing. So a lot of that stuff is falling on deaf ears now, and he's certainly changed how he's gone about it, you know, since he's gotten a lot of that criticism. One part of it is the game management stuff. I think that he is a good game management coach overall. I think he is above average in that area. Now he's not making decisions the same way that he was in, in year one. Now, some of that is they have a better punt team. Some of that is that he believes more in the defense. Um, but when you make decisions like that, they're going to be magnified. And so I think part of it, too, is that he realizes that if these decisions go his way, even if they're correct mathematically, like if there's enough backlash, he's going to be out the door a lot earlier than if he makes decisions that are, you know, more within the, uh, you know, what the public perceives as, you know, the right decision. And so you can go back to the Tennessee game. I mean, you have a fourth and two from the Tennessee 45 yard line. And he punts it away. I mean, I mean, even even like your your you know your fifty five year old football watcher who you know you know fell in love with the NFL in the eighties would be like, hey, maybe go for it there, right? But you know, and you look at it like True Media had it as like as a in terms of EPA loss by the decision was was negative one, so they basically lost a point with the decision. Ben Baldwin's model had it as you know plus four percent win percentage by going for it there. You know, I have a tough time thinking that the Chargers analytics team their model said to punt that in that situation that would be really surprising so the decision making has changed he's gotten more conservative and i think that it has backfired for them in certain situations now the defense is, is separate the question is like you look at some of these guys right that are that are play callers and head coaches how many of them would you classify as excellent game managers like sean yeah, no, McVay, that's a good point yeah, Kyle Shanahan, Andy Reid, brilliant offensive minds, and and they're gonna and two of those three have won Super Bowls because of how great they are as offensive coaches. The third one's probably gonna win one soon, right? But are they great game managers? Are they great decision makers? I don't know. It's hard. Like there is so much that goes into managing a football game as a head coach and making the right decision every single time, which is what you're paid to do. To add play calling on top of that it takes a ton of capacity and i don't know if there's anyone in the world that can do both things at a very high level now brandon staley certainly believes that he's capable of doing that he hasn't proven capable of doing that because the defense has been bad like it's just been bad it's been one of the worst defenses in the league since he took over in 2021 and you can make excuses or even find explanations i think there's a difference between those two things but the biggest concern to me is that like they they can't play staple coverages in this defense properly and it's not like you have guys out there that that are it's the first year in the scheme right like I, you know 
one specific coverage that I've been sort of honing in on is quarter, quarter, half. So basically have quarters to one side of the field and then, you know, half field safety to the other side of the field, basically cover two to one side and quarters to the other side. They've given up seven explosive passes on 12 passing plays out of cover six, quarter, quarter, half. Three of those plays, one was a 35 yard touchdown to Tyree kill. One of them was a 49 yard ball to Chris Moore in the Tennessee game that set up Tennessee's go ahead, touchdown in the fourth quarter. And another one was a 70 yard bomb to trailing Burks in the Tennessee game that set up the touchdown that brought them back into the game at 11 zero. And all three of those plays attacked the same player in the coverage. Now different individual player, but the same person in the coverage, which is the, the corner to the quarter side. And on two of those plays, the, the, the corners, one was JC Jackson, one was Asante just played the wrong leverage. Like it's not that it's not that complex. Like you have help to the inside. That's where your safety is playing that, that middle quarter of the field. You can't get beat to the outside. You have to force that receiver to the inside so that you help have your help over the top. JC Jackson and Asante Samuel both let the receiver get outside leverage. There's no help over there and they get beat over the top. And it's like, you're in year three of this. Asante Samuel was your second draft pick ever in 2021. JC Jackson is now in his second year in the scheme and they're making these mistakes. And there's a lot more to it, obviously, but like, that's a good example of how the messaging just isn't getting through. Like whatever the coaching points they are delivering to these guys about staple, staple, staple coverages in the scheme. I mean, you're talking about coverages that they play over 16% of the time, which is a, a big number because in Staley scheme, you're playing a lot of different coverages. It's their second most played coverage since he took over and they're still making these types of mistakes. And that to me is the biggest issue. You have the personnel there, but whatever they're trying to do to coach these guys up defensively, it's not getting through right now. I mean, that's going great, though. I mean, other than that, totally <laughs> smooth sailing. No, and you know, I, I think of this all the time for defensive coaches, and it's always, and I'm sure you know this and feel this way, but it's always the players. It's always who you have, who can execute what, how good they are. Like if, if you have, this was the thing about the Fangio system being so hot, and we saw this last year with Ed Donatell, who was Fangio's guy. It's like, if the players can't play it, then you shouldn't play it. You have to do something else. And so I don't know if that is the issue or not, but it is odd to me that someone like JC Jackson was so good with one team and so bad with another team. But I also know that there are a lot of coaches and I think Donatel was this way. I think Brian Flores is actually the opposite of this that are going to just do what they do. And if the players make mistakes, they're going to be like, well, it wasn't my system. It was the players who didn't get it down. But as you're pointing out, if you have had the same players for multiple years and the same issues are still pervasive, then you have to change something about the way you're calling it, the way you're coaching it. Because I look at the roster of the Chargers defense and I go, all right, well, this should be like an average team, but they're not an average team. They're a horrendous team defensively. And I agree with you that, okay, Miami week one, McDaniel was probably working since, uh, you know, the moment his season ended for that week one game to just shred everything. But then when you get beat by Tennessee, it's like the Vikings should be looking at this game thinking, what's the receiving record? Can Flipper Anderson's number get beat by Justin Jefferson? I mean, I, I think that this is probably the biggest disadvantage other than when they play the Bears that the opposing defense is going to be at against this Vikings offense all season long because of this. And it just doesn't seem like Staley is, is able to find the answers here, which may result if the Chargers lose, I mean, in going down a path where he's not the coach anymore. Yeah. So the only thing I would respond there is like a trend with Staley is that when he is 
when he does have his back against the wall and everyone thinks that he's going to get shredded by, uh, you know, an opposing offense, he does have a tendency to pull these game plans out of nowhere and, and show up. Like it's happened in his time as head coach, particularly last year. Um, you know, they went up against San Francisco in San Francisco. Um, they were already thin on defense by the end of the game, fourth quarter, they had three healthy defensive linemen um, and they were able to hold the 49ers to 22 points with, with Christian McCaffrey out there. And, and, you know, it was just a really, really sound game plan, particularly, you know, run game plan that they were able to execute. You, you brought up the dolphins. I mean, Miami week 14 last year, the, they, you know, they're without Bryce Callahan, their starting slot corner. Uh, Jasir Taylor makes his first career start and, you know, they shut down what to that point had been one of the best offenses in football. So like, it wouldn't surprise me if they come up with a great game plan, against Justin Jefferson or somehow able to to slow him down because everyone and their mother thinks that he's going to go off for, you know, 700 yards in the game. Like it's, you know, like Madden 2006, you know, but you know, so that, that, you know, that wouldn't surprise me, especially given where they're at and what needs to happen in this game. Um, but like the issues are there, like the issues are there and they, and like you alluded to, like, I agree with you hundred percent, like they have what they need on this roster to be a Super Bowl contender. Like they do, they have enough talent. And so like, you know, ownership, the front office, like they, that's how they feel about the roster. And so like, ultimately like the buck stops with the head coach, if it's not happening. And if you're losing games, when you feel like you have the talent to get it done. Yeah. And I feel like those Owen two stats. I mean, one of the things is it's always hard of who you play in the second week. And, you know, so the Vikings had to go in three days to Philadelphia. That's pretty hard. That's why you can't lose the first game. But a lot of times I think that the really good teams, they figure out quickly what happened and they turn around quickly if they're actually good. And that's why they don't end up Owen two. Also really horrific teams are Owen two. So that, that although all those stats are very muddy for what you can actually take yeah. out of them, but yeah. Uh, This game in particular, it it did make me think about how uh, with Brandon Staley, with the Chargers organization in 2017, the Vikings went to Philadelphia for the NFC championship, thinking that they were going to go to the Super Bowl, thinking we're playing Nick Foles, we're hosting the Super Bowl, it's going to be incredible. And they scored on the first drive, got up seven to nothing, and then gave up 38 straight points. And it impacted everything that happened to them after. The pressure on everybody, the Kirk Cousins decision, it just rested over everyone. Uh, now, last year, yeah, I was going to say, now last year, <laughs> let, let, let me get my whole, my whole setup. Last year, I was in a uh, restaurant with Drew McGarry from The Defector watching Jaguars and uh, Chargers in the playoffs before the Vikings were going to play the next day. And when it was 27 to nothing or whatever, I was like, man, should we just go? Like, this game looks like it's over. And then all of a sudden it happened. And that is where I'm going with this. How much does that rest over everything that is going on with the Chargers? If they had just lost a regular football game to the Jaguars, I feel like it would be a little bit different, but maybe that's just reverse engineering 0-2. Well, Brandon Staley doesn't seem to think it has any uh, impact on how his team is playing. You know, I tried to ask a question to him in the press conference. I'm sure everyone listening to your podcast has seen it at this point. Um, he didn't really let You me... made awful announcing. That's good for you. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I didn't even get to an- I didn't even get to ask the question. I literally just like I said six words. The sixth word was Jacksonville and he cut me off and just and just you know, and, 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 and delivered like a passionate response, which is what you expect. Like, listen, like I've been doing this a long time. 
I've been getting yelled at in press conferences since I was 19 years old. Like it is what it is. It's part of the job. I felt like it was a question that had to be asked. I didn't get to frame it the way I wanted to because I didn't get to finish it. And so a lot of people are, you know, picking my words apart um, and saying that I didn't frame it well or whatever. It was a bad question. I didn't get to ask the question because I got cut off. Now, that aside, right? He has to say that. But like, like we've been talking about, like this is pretty much the same roster. I mean, a lot of these guys, 90 plus percent of the guys that are playing for this team right now, we're in that locker room in Jacksonville. And I was in that locker room in Jacksonville. And like, it was the darkest locker room I've ever been in. And you had guys in there saying like, we're never going to live this down. Like we're going to be known for this for the rest of our lives. Like, and it's true until you win a Super Bowl. And so like, Players are human. So it's, it's not like these guys are robots, right? And you just like, okay, off season, you get, you know, wipe the, wipe the memory card clean and you reprogram them. Like, no, they're human beings. Right. And like, you know, the way I, I've kind of been framing it is like, you know, there's motivation, there's confidence. So I think that these guys definitely are motivated by that loss, but confidence is separate than motivation. And so like when you're in these moments late in games and you need to make a play or you need to like not commit a dumb penalty or you need to get lined up right, like confidence matters in those moments. And 100% like losing in that fashion affects your confidence. Now, are they consciously thinking about Jacksonville in those moments? No, I don't think so. But are they subconsciously thinking about it? I don't know that. I, I am not inside these guys' brains. And all I can do is ask them questions and they'll answer them. And everyone is saying that, no, it has no impact. Right. But like at the end of the day, they're human beings and anyone that suffers like a public embarrassment like that, you don't just forget about those things. You know, maybe I'm different than everybody else, but I suck at compartmentalizing things. You know, some guys are a lot better at it. I'm sure guys, you know, women, whoever, like some people are good at it. Some people are bad at it. But like when you suffer a, an enormous public embarrassment. All right. And then eight months later, you got to go back out there and do the same thing that you were doing when you suffered the public embarrassment. Like there has to be something there. And on top of that, like in the two games now to start the season, the two games since you lost that way, you've lost two games at the end of the game where you've made mistakes. You've done similar things that you weren't able to do, you know, in the, in the Jacksonville game. And so like, until you win games late, and make plays in those situations like that is there. And those questions are going to be there. And that game will be hovering over the team. And, and that's, that's it. Like, you know, as much as you want to go up there and you want to say, Oh, that doesn't matter. That's last season, blah, 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 blah. Like that's just not what the reality of the situation is in my opinion. Folks, I am absolutely pumped about my prize picks this week because I crushed it. If you have not heard of it, Prize Picks is the easiest and best way to play daily fantasy, except instead of betting against thousands of other players or people who spend their entire life doing fantasy, all you need to do is pick more or less between two and six player stat projections. Say a quarterback's number is 250 yards or a wide receiver, a hundred yards receiving go more or less and bang you're in, you're playing, and you can pick from hundreds of players and numbers this football season, and there are other sports that you can choose from as well. So last week, I nailed that Devontae Smith, Justin Jefferson, and TJ Hawkinson would all get more yards than expected. Pretty easy ones to pick if you ask me. So it doesn't take an arm and a leg uh, money-wise to be able to play. You can turn $10 into 250 with just a couple taps. 
perfect way to fit it in in a busy day. Do it right before the game, whenever you want at Prize Picks. And uh, we're going to be going in on it all season long. You're going to hear every week making our picks. So go to prizepicks.com slash purple and use the code purple for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash purple. Use the code purple. Daily fantasy sports made easy. I would say I know nothing about reporters getting their head bit off by the coach. I uh, just, I, I, I covered Mike Zimmer. So it was always just friendly and no, actually it's, it's been a little weird because Kevin O'Connell, even when bad questions are asked that I think like, Oh, I think he should, uh, he's going to go off here or something. He's always very smooth about it, but we'll see. He's still, he's still new. So he'll, he'll break eventually, but you're not doing your job. Probably if you've never gotten a, a, a whatever kind of response you want to categorize that. I, I think passionate is a good way to describe it. And I, and I think that getting his response to that is the goal. And so, yes, I know because every press conference has to be broadcast. Now everyone can pick apart the way you asked or whatever. Uh, if they just read the quotes instead in the athletic, they might've been like, Oh, that's actually quite insightful for how he's looking at it as opposed to worrying about how you asked it. But that's you a whole it. different conversation. That's that's a whole different <laughs> it's a whole different discussion. Yeah. Um, but uh anyway, I've just I I don't know. I understand fans want to see what the coach is saying and they want to watch the press conference and stuff like that. But I get a little bit frustrated sometimes when they make it about the reporters. It's like, okay, well, anyway, anyway, that's the game we play. Yeah. Uh what I'm saying though is to to your point, I felt this from what happened in 2017 with the Vikings, I felt it in that room that the following season in 2018, the tension started at nine and ended up at 11 by the end of that year. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends still in Buffalo. And I asked my friends in Buffalo, I think after the 13 seconds thing, when they were going into last season, I said, is that, is that lingering? I mean, where they, you know, could have gone to the AFC championship and lost to Kansas city after having the lead with 13 seconds left. And they all said, I don't know. I don't think so. But as things went along last year, you could sense kind of where that's at. And then they lose to the jets to start the season, which for a team that good, they should be like, ah, who cares? But they're not. I, you know, the, their reaction is Josh Allen's kind of losing it in the post-game press conference. And the people asking, well, Sean McDermott know what he's doing. And I feel like this just happens. It happens because of the the magnitude of what we do here in the NFL, that when you have something go wrong in the playoffs, it just lingers and it's on everybody's mind. And like you said, you can't just you men in black and wash it out of your, your right, brain. Exactly. So, exactly. so it exists there. And, and this is a team that's playing a lot of close games, which, you know, I wanted to ask about this as well. So I have, and I've told you this before, I have called him Justin Kirkbert because everyone always talks about how great it should be and how incredible it is. And when you look at the box score, you're like, man, that was really good. What a great game it was. And they lost by three. And that's, that's how it always feels with Herbert. And I guess my question is over the first couple of weeks, it looks like he's actually played really well, but is there an element of Herbert can't make this all right? Because I tend to think that if you have like one of the guys like the Mahomes or whatever, that a lot of stuff that happens to everybody else happens to Mahomes. They blew an AFC championship. doesn't matter. It, it, he just comes back and wins the next Super Bowl. Nobody is Mahomes. I understand that. But I also think that there's going to be people who start asking questions if they go to 0-3 and they lose to the Vikings about like, is this quarterback the guy who is in that echelon 
or is he in the Kirk Goff echelon, but taller? <laughs> yeah, so here's where I stand on that. Okay, like he's he has 13 game-winning drives in the fourth quarter or overtime. Like, and and all you need to do to learn about like what Justin Herbert is in big moments, like go watch the week 18 game against the Raiders. I mean, he made nine throws in do or die situations. You've got to have situations. I mean, you're talking about fourth and 10, fourth and 21. Just like that is, in my opinion, who he is late in games. Now, like he's had moments where he hasn't gotten it done. Absolutely. Especially to start this season. And you can even go back to the Jacksonville game. I mean, he missed Keenan Allen on a wide open touchdown that might have iced that game. And so, like, I think it's fair to criticize him. Um, but, like, I do believe that he's very good late in games. Like, I do believe he has that, you know, that killer instinct. Um, now, the other part of this is when you're a quarterback on a rookie deal and you're a young player, you can sort of frame it as, well, he's coming into his own. He's still developing all of those things. When you sign for $52.5 million a year, those excuses go out the window, my dude. Like, that's just what it is. Like, and you have to be the guy. Like, if you're getting paid, like, right now, the second highest paid quarterback in the league and average annual value, you better be playing like it. And in order to play like it, you have to, you know, perform in those moments. Down to 145 left, you get the ball, you cannot commit a grounding penalty and, and spike that drive, you know? Against the ten, against the Titans, you know, you get the ball first in overtime. You got you got to at least score a field goal, like at least. You cannot go three and out. And I don't want to reveal too much because that's what my film review is going to be on this week. Um, but like, you know, that drive first down, Mike Williams runs a, runs a, a wheel route out of the slot. Both Titans defenders carry Williams. Josh Palmer is wide open and like. When I say wide open, I mean completely uncovered because the guy that was supposed to be on him carried the Williams route. And Justin misses him, throws into double coverage to Mike Williams, and it's incomplete. Second down. Protection breaks down. Both tackles get moved and, and the and the pocket collapses. But we talked, we, you know, in in the pre-show here, we talked about how important creation is at quarterback. Like in that situation, he throw he threw the ball away once the pressure came. He's got to escape there. I mean, you have all the tools to do it. Go escape and at least give yourself a shot. Third down, I, you know, I mentioned a, a procedural error. Mike Williams lines up incorrectly. Kellen Moore gives Justin a, a quick snap cadence. So as soon as Corey Lindsley gets to the ball, he's supposed to snap it. Mike Williams isn't lined up. And so Mike Williams tries to run from the left side of the formation to the right to get to the right position. Justin tries to stop him. He doesn't stop. Corey snaps it. Like, if you're getting paid that money, like, you have to be operating with like, okay, this is not going down, turn around and bang a timeout, like immediately. Like that's what you're getting paid to do is to be that type of operator on the field. And so they snap the ball. Mike Williams doesn't run a route. It's a complete mess because the concept isn't complete. And Justin throws it away and they go three and out without gaining a yard. And so like the like now in these situations with the contract that he has, now I think the criticism is founded. But I'm not going to say that he's, you know, Jared Goff or Kirk Cousins. Like he's still... He is still that type of guy. You know, to me, he's still a top five quarterback in the league. But to cement himself there and to live up to the contract, like you have to get it done in those situations a lot more times than you don't get it done. And and there's 15 games left. Like, you know, it's a small sample size. It's two games. Like by the end of the season, you could have 10 game winning drives in the fourth quarter in overtime. They could be on their way to the playoffs. And all of these, you know, conversations are no longer being had. But until it happens, like we have to talk about it. 
Yeah, yeah. It's funny, though. It feels like even though there's 15 games left for both of the teams we cover, it feels like there's potentially one game left for one of the two teams because 0-3 is death. Here, let me uh, slightly defend the Justin Kirkbert thing, which is every game that Kirk Cousins plays comes down to one score and whether he leads a game-winning drive or not. And for the first couple of years with Cousins, there was the big thing about, is he clutch? Can he really lead these drives? And then last year, he gets eight game-winning drives, eight fourth-quarter comebacks. It's like, whoa, he led all these drives. Now, I once looked into all this, and his percentage of actually winning those games was no different than anybody else's, how often he leads the game-winning drive and everything else. But the thing with Kirk is that he's always in these games. He never runs away from anyone. And you mentioned the three and out. And the Vikings always kind of have these three and outs. And it feel, that's where it feels similar to me is where I think I saw a stat that the Chargers, since Herbert uh, was drafted, have played like 70% of their games of one score games. And it's like, you're always riding the wave with him of, oh, the offensive line's kind of banged up and that's why it's not working. And that's why he can't throw it farther down the field. Or, oh, they, you know, they had this go wrong or that go wrong. And that's why they didn't blow out this garbage team that they were facing and they let them hang around and then they missed the field goal. And that's why they lost. And that's why they missed the play. It, it feels like a lot of the same sort of stuff with that, where the, the offense is good as it looks and is fantastically talented as he is. I just never feel like they're putting people on ice. And so of course, yeah, he's got the talent to lead game winning drives. But also one thing I noticed is that Tom Brady actually doesn't have that many game winning drives because he's always just winning. <laughs> so, you know, he's not the Vikings were down in eight fourth quarters. That's like not good. And so I feel like there's a similarity there with him and Justin Herbert that they just can't seem to have that little extra gear that runs away from teams and finishes games. Yeah. The, the thing I'll say, though, is that like if you so the point you bring up about percentages is important, like I would have to do a deeper dive to tell you like what percentage of two minute drives down a score he's been able to execute. I mean, if he has 13 and three plus seasons, like I imagine the percentages are pretty high, but I can't give you those right now. And I think that's a better way to look at it. Um, but what I will say is like, go look at, you know, the athletics Mike Sando does a good job of kind of framing like the amount of help that quarterbacks get. And what he looks at is combining total defensive EPA and total special teams EPA over the course of like, however long you're looking at it. Um, and that can give you a good representation of like how much help a quarterback's getting like absent of what's happening offensively. And, you know, Justin hasn't gotten help. Like they have not had a good defense or even an above average defense at any point in his career. They were horrific on special teams in 2020. That's why Anthony Lynn got fired. Um, they were bad on special teams in 2021. They changed special teams coordinators and brought in Ryan Ficken, you know, former Viking, obviously. Mm -hmm. And he's done wonders. I mean, they were they were a good special teams unit last year, um, and they're looking to be trending in that direction um, this year. But it, you know, it, it's you you put so much on a quarterback when your defense is consistently bad, and in some of these games you talk about like separating, right? Like putting games on ice, you know, the chargers offensively were okay early on, but they found a rhythm in the second quarter. They go up 11, nothing on the Titans. You got to get a stop there defensively. That's where games flip, like get a stop, get the ball back to the offense and you score and potentially you're up 18, nothing in the first half. Now, you know, considering what happened with this team last year in the playoffs, like that leads obviously not safe, but like, those are the moments that matter. Instead, on the very first play of the next drive, 
Asante Samuel gets beat over the top by Traylon Burks and Ryan Tannehill's throwing 70 yard bombs on you. And like, considering how he looked in week one, like that's inexcusable. So all of a sudden what could have been 18, nothing game is now an 11, seven game. And that just changes the complexion of everything. So like, until he gets a little bit more help, it's hard to say that like, oh, the reason that they're in so many of these one score games is on him and the offense for not putting games away. And he hasn't gotten that help. Like that's an objective fact that he has not gotten that help from the other phases of the team. Um, And I think that has to be factored into the conversation when you're talking about Justin Herbert. I totally agree. Uh, And I think that if you were talking about all the quarterbacks that you would take on your team, just based on their talent, you're certainly taking Justin Herbert at the top. And if he had Justin Jefferson say, or the, some of the setups that the Vikings have had, I know they don't have great guards or whatever, but the Vikings have two of the best tackles, great receivers, great weapons, great offensive coordinators. The whole time Kirk has been here, some bad defenses in the same way. And, you know, that's kind of how you end up in a lot of these close games. And, and I, I, I just feel like there's like a discussion sometimes of making it sound like he's like really close to Mahomes. I just don't think that's the case, but no. I also think that that's not the case with anyone. And so there's sort of a, how far are you from Mahomes quotient? And the way that I've always looked at this is also when the team that I cover is playing another team, how much, like how much do I think that that other quarterback is going to just destroy the Vikings or, or cause when it was Zimmer cause problems for a great uh, defensive mind. And I, th- and the one time that you know, uh, the Vikings played Los Angeles, it was okay. It was a, it was a decent performance and the chargers lost by one score, like shocker. And I feel like it's kind of the same deal. Now, if he throws for 400 yards, I'll be like, okay, I take it back. I take back the uh, Justin Kirkbert. But I feel like because of that, this game ends up being close, which I think we should talk about is just this matchup specifically. I'm just so captivated by the Chargers, though. Like we could talk this podcast. I try not to take it any more than like 35, 40 minutes. But but when it's the Chargers, I feel like you and I could talk all day because I'm so fascinated by their history and all the you know, all the close calls and everything else. But on this specific game, how are you viewing the matchup between Chargers offense, Vikings defense? Yeah, I mean, you know, whenever you're going up against a Flores defense, it's all about handling, you know, the the blitz looks and and how he disguises things. Um, Now, interestingly, and I'm going to dive in, obviously, to more of the preview stuff, you know, during the week. I mean, the Flores Miami defenses were a ton of cover zero and playing man behind it. What I've seen you know, early on looking into this matchup is that maybe he's shifting away from playing more man behind those blitz looks and playing some more zone. Um, But that's really what it comes down to. Um, Can you handle those pressure looks? Now, a lot of it, right, is making sure you're fishing on first and second down, making sure you run the ball well so that you stay out of those, you know, known passing situations that you get fewer of those looks. But, you know, I think a lot of this is going to come down to like, how does the Chargers offensive line and Justin Herbert pre-snap like handle a lot of that stuff? Um, you know, week one, the Chargers offensive line looked fantastic. I mean, they rushed for 243 yards. Um, they pass protected really well. I, I, I still think it's a strength of the team. You know, you have an all pro level player in Rashawn Slater. You have an all pro level player in Corey Lindsley. I like the two young guards that they have in Zion Johnson and Jamari Salyer. And then I really like Trey Pipkins at right tackle who they re-signed this offseason. I think it's a really solid group. But they had some real issues with the Titans, man. And, you know, like, I think Titans are great up front. Titans are beasts up front. I'd like to see a front that's better than that in the league, honestly. Like, 
and I'm going to dive into the tape now, but just watching it live, I mean, they could not block Jeffrey Simmons. I don't know who can block Jeffrey Simmons. That guy's a freak. Like, But then the, like, the guys they have coming off the edge, I mean, Danico Autry had a great game. Harold Landry's back in there. He had a big sack. Um, Tyre Tart, like, totally abused Corey Lindsley on a run stop for a tackle for a loss. Um, and so, like, I think a big question for me is, like, what is this unit? You know, what are they? Are, are they, like, is it really a strength of the team or – you know, is, is there a weakness there, you know, on the interior with the two young guards that I, that I mentioned, you know, Zion Johnson is a really good run blocker. Um, I, I think that they've been using him more as a weapon in terms of getting him out on some of the, uh, on some poles and stuff in space. Um, but he is, I don't want to frame this. I, I don't know if he's there yet as a pass protector. Like I think right now he's, he's a below average pass protector, which is not what you want from a first round pick, especially a guard. Um, and so like, that's going to be a big thing for me. Like, can this unit bounce back? Can they run the ball well early on early downs to avoid some of those, um, you know, known passing situations to, to, you know, prevent some of those looks that Brian Flores is known for. Um, and then if they do get in those situations, can they hold up? Can they pass protect? Can they communicate well? Can they pass off some of these stunts? Because they struggled in that area against the Titans. Uh, you know, obviously the Titans, like we said, one of the best fronts in the league and you have to, you know, put some stock into that. Uh, but that's really what I'm looking at offensively is like, can this offensive line bounce back and, and be the unit that like, I think they're capable of being. My big question is, so last week, the Vikings dared the Philadelphia Eagles and would not advise other teams do this, dared them to run every play. And the Eagles said, wonderful, we'd love to. And they did. And they ran 13 times out of a 16 play drive. And they just, I mean, it was like watching synchronized swimming, their offensive line. They just moved so beautifully in unison. It was incredible to watch back on all 22, uh, how they were able to blast the Vikings. My question is, so you can run the ball with the Chargers. They've clearly proven this. Will they just keep doing it? Because oh, yeah. I remember specifically in that 2021 game where they were running the ball well against Zimmer's defense, but they just couldn't stick with They were like, nah, we got to throw. We got to throw. And that was playing into what Zimmer was trying to do. So I think that Flores is kind of daring opposing offensive coordinators. Will you actually keep running against us? I, cause I don't think you will. And the Eagles will, but I don't know if the chargers will. So anyway, uh, in the interest of just not actually talking for 14 straight hours about this game and the chargers, uh, <laughs> We can do it. We can do it. We truly could. (laughs) If there's ever like one of those marathons where we're raising money for uh, rabies or something like in the office, then that will be our thing. We'll just have 14 hours of going through the Vikings and Chargers history and comparing calamities and everything else. But the the, the last thing I have for you, though, is just. What do you think happens here? I mean, with the like, do you think they win this game? Do you think they turn it around? Do you think that you're like uh, DMing me and saying, "Can't believe you called him Kirkbert when he's winning MVP"? Like, what? What do you think happens the rest of the way? All right. Well, let's start with this game. Part of me, like I mentioned earlier, feels like this is one of those staley moments where he he pulls a game plan out of thin air and. And they like pass defense wise, it just all clicks. And, you know, everyone's shocked that, you know, Staley was able to to slow down Justin Jefferson. But I'm not willing to say that's going to happen. Right. (laughs) You know, the last time he brought up the 2021 game, Justin Jefferson had nine catches for 143 yards in that game. Like, I just don't know. Like, you can double him. I mean, they tried to double Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle didn't work, you know. And so, like, at the end of the day, players win games. And so you can come up with the best scheme you want, but they don't have anybody in that secondary 
that can really match up with Justin Jefferson. Outside of Derwin James, because I think he's that good, but you're not going to like – you can't do that with Derwin. He does too much in the defense for you to like, you know, match match him up with Justin Jefferson one-on-one. So, like, I – you know, I, I'm with everybody else on this. Like, I feel like Justin Jefferson is going to go off. Um, and the question is, like, offensively, can you do enough to to – to keep pace. Like that's really what I think it's going to be. Now, I, I think you brought up a really good point now, with the running game. Teams are going to do that to the Chargers every game. Like you're going to play two deep shells. Like right now they're facing the fifth highest rate of two deep shells of um, any team in the league. And that's how teams are going to play the Chargers. They're going to take away the deep part of the field and they're going to force you to either run the ball or force Justin Herbert to check it down. Now they made a change at offensive coordinator going from Joe Lombardi to Kellen Moore. And a big part of that was to improve the run game schematically to put more of an emphasis on it, but also to get bring a guy in here who play calling wise would be willing to stick with the run. And that was a big issue with Joe Lombardi is like one negative run. He was off it. He was like, let's go back to Justin, which I don't think was like necessarily the wrong decision considering like, you know, how they were running the ball, but also a lot of it falls on him for not putting an emphasis on it, how he was coaching it, how he was scheming up all those things. Now, Kellen Moore ran six run plays in a row on a drive. Uh, against the Dolphins and he and they they schematically look a lot cleaner everything looks a lot cleaner a lot more precise it's a lot more downhill a lot more between the tackles um, and they're letting these offensive linemen get off the ball and get downhill and they're telling their running backs hit the hole and go north south and it's and it worked in week one now I don't put a lot of stock into that Titans game running wise because no one runs the ball against the Titans and it's because of 98 Jeffrey Simmons you can put it pretty much all on him Um, but if Brian Flores makes that you know strategic decision like hey we're going to play with, you know, light boxes. We're going to defend the deep part of the field. And if you want to run it a hundred times in a row, go for it. Kellen Moore will do that. Absolutely. And so, you know, if, if the defense is struggling to contain Justin Jefferson, it becomes sort of a situation where run the ball and keep the ball out of the, of the Vikings offensive hands, offenses hands. And if Brian Flores is tempting them to do that, they will do it. And they did it in the Dolphins game. They put up 34 points. Um, and so you could end up with, with, like another shootout similar to that Dolphins game, if everything goes how I think it's going to go. But obviously we are always wrong. Um, and, you know, Justin Herbert's going to throw for 450 and Justin Jefferson's not going to have a catch. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I think any reasonable analysis of this game finds that it's 38-34. We just don't know who. Yeah. Uh, might be who touches the ball last or which quarterback it's called a choker at the end. Oh, we're not really sure. Uh, but that's how it always tends to work. I think this is the type of game that over my long time uh, following Kirk Cousins that he usually wins. Just when you feel like, oh boy, this thing's about to crumble. It's over. They're going to be out of the play. Oh, Kirk won the game. Uh, It's happened many times. Uh, I also think that anytime Justin Jefferson has faced a bad secondary, he has mauled them to death. But There is one fella that plays for the Los Angeles Chargers that I would be very concerned about because he has ruined football games before against the Vikings, and that is Khalil Mack. Uh, And uh, if he's on the other side, I know that he's not the same version he was with the Bears, but if that man plays for the other football team, I'm always going to be like, that's a strip sack waiting to happen. He's still a a really good player. That narrative is really – I still have to watch the tape from, from, from Sunday, but week one he had six pressures, like he rushed well and and two was getting the ball out in 2.4 seconds. So like he's still, yeah, I think you're on it. Like he's still a very good player. Yeah. That's the game wrecker. It's like, does he wreck the game? And you and I were talking before we went on about Kirk cousins, fumble problems that can ruin games for them. And the turnovers have continued to be an issue. So 
I wish that uh, the Vikings and Chargers were in the same division so we could talk uh, more often than we do. Your work is phenomenal at The Athletic. I've followed it for a long, long time, Daniel. You do a great job. So everyone should follow you. Is it just Daniel Popper on Twitter? Is there some Uh, hyphen or something? This is actually funny, not to take up too much more of your time, but it's Daniel R. Popper because there is a famous sculptor from South Africa named Daniel Popper, who does these like pretty epic and awesome like landscape sculptures in in cities. So anyway, if you want the, the sculptures, follow Daniel Popper. If you want Chargers content and NFL content, follow Daniel R. Popper. Okay, well, there's got to be some crossover there somewhere, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably. Uh, well, we'll see uh, which coach can beautifully sculpt a game plan and victory. Uh, so make sure you check out his work leading up to the game. And and really, as always, uh, even if you're just slightly intrigued by the Los Angeles Chargers, you do a great job, man. Always love talking to you. And we will definitely do it again. I don't know when, but we absolutely will. Awesome. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. And very excited to read your book that's coming out in two weeks, man. Looks like an, two an weeks. awesome project. I'm really excited to read it. Yeah, I'm really pumped, man. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. I I need to get better at constantly promoting myself. Actually, maybe with every question. Like, you know, I wrote a book, so tell me about the (laughs) offensive line. (laughs) Just squeeze it in there whenever you can. Exactly. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me.